Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to use that as a basis, again, for our study this morning, 1 Corinthians 13. While you're turning there, let me join with Stephen in welcoming those that are with us today. We have a number of guests. Some of you I've met when you came in. Others I don't think I have, but sure would like to meet you. And so hope you'll hang around a couple minutes after we dismiss this morning so we have a chance to get to know you a little better and uh, let you know we're glad that you've come to be with us. Hope that you find our service this morning edifying, uplifting, and certainly scriptural as we seek to follow what God has to say about worship and to study some things from his word that will help us live as he wants us to as disciples of Christ. It's good to be back after being away last week, and I appreciate those that filled in both in the pulpit and the Bible classes and in various ways that uh, took over things that I normally would do while I'm here, and I appreciate that. And I'm amazed I've come back and all the things that have happened since I've been gone that I've missed out on. It's unbelievable. Uh, missed out on the big hailstorm. Uh, and, and then we come in and Norman said, look at the trees that they're all leafed out and everything that weren't leafed out when we left. People have been baptized since we've been gone. Uh, people have been in the hospital and out of the hospital. And it's just amazing all the changes that have been wrought in just a week but that's kind of life isn't it life is about change but there's one thing that doesn't change and that's the bible isn't it and one thing that's not changed for a while is my series on first corinthians 13 yes if you've been away on vacation we're still studying first corinthians 13 and just to uh refresh our minds i'd like for us to read this chapter again and then we'll look at the theme that we have for us today paul wrote though i speak with the tongue of men and of angels but have not love I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not prate itself, is not puffed up does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. There are in this reading at least 15 qualities or characteristics about love. In fact, this is why Paul, at least one reason, Paul refers to love as the more excellent way at the end of chapter 12. And though those in the church of Corinth seem to be divided and arguing over various miraculous gifts, Paul said there's a better way, there's a better gift, and that is the gift and that is the way of love. So this morning, I want us to camp on verse 5 on a single phrase there that speaks to the fact that love is respectful as i was looking over my powerpoint in my lesson this morning so that as i normally do i can have a powerpoint free of all mistakes and typographical errors as is my custom as you know i was reminded of a thought back hearkening to growing up as a little boy in central indiana and i can remember my mother sometimes giving me advice and she used this expression. She said, Kenny, mind your manners. Any of you ever hear that expression? 
Some of you have parents that use that exact. That must have been in the parenting handbook back in those days. Because I've heard other people of my generation that they heard their mother say, mind your manners. Well, you know, that is a biblical idea, believe it or not. Because in 1 Corinthians 13 and in verse 5, he said that love does not behave rudely. Now, we may not necessarily think, I mean, we think of all kinds of things that have to do with discipleship and living a Christian life. We think of the work and the worship, the organization of the church, or, or we think about how the change we talked about in our young adult class this morning from changes in our lives and changes as Christians. And in Romans 12, we're to be not conformed to the world, but be transformed. We think of things of a moral nature. But have you ever thought about a hallmark of a Christian is good manners? Maybe not. And yet the idea here, love does not behave rudely, speaks to being polite and gracious and kind and nice. That love says, excuse me and please and thank you and I'm sorry and you're welcome. Love has the idea of being on its best behavior as we interact with other people. Paul in Ephesians 4.32 said we're to be kind one to another. Kindness involves being cordial and considerate and courteous and thoughtful and respectful and doesn't involve good manners. Or Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, to be of one mind, having compassion, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, and my translation says be courteous. Be courteous? Now I know some versions render that Greek word humble, but even at that, doesn't good manners require common courtesy and a bit of humility and selflessness and geniality? Yes, it does. Love does not behave rudely. Now, if you have a different rendering or translation, like the American Standard, it may say love does not behave itself unseemly. And in fact, I think the old 1611 version may say that, that love doesn't behave unseemly. The New American Standard Update says love does not act unbecomingly. J.B. Phillips, though it's not a literal translation, simply says love has good manners. And the ESV says love is not rude. All of this speaks to the idea of love being respectful. This particular word in the original language occurs one other time in 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 36. And... Barnes and his commentary talks about this word in some detail, and I usually don't like to read a lot from a commentary, but I thought Barnes just did an excellent job of dissecting and talking about this word here that we're looking at about not being rude or having good manners. He says the word means to, uh, when, it, when it's used in the negative sense like it, like it is in 1 Corinthians 7.36 and the negative part here means, to, means conduct improperly or disgracefully or in a manner that deserves reproach. Love seeks that which is proper or becoming the circumstance and relations of life in which we are placed. And then he goes on and gives several examples. And you remember Barnes wrote a long time ago, so the way he speaks is right is a little different than we would today. But he says it prompts 
the due respect for superiors, producing veneration and respect for their opinions, and it prompts to the proper regard for inferiors, not despising their rank, their poverty, or their dress, their dwellings, their pleasures, or their view of happiness. It prompts the due observance of all the relations of life as those of a husband, wife, parent, child, brother, sister, son, daughter, and produces a conduct, a proper conduct, and deportment in all of these relations. Then he goes on and he says, the proper idea of the phrase is that it prompts all that is fit and becoming in life and would save us from all that is unfit and unbecoming. He adds that may be included in this word also the idea that it would prevent anything that would be a violation of decency or delicacy. He says that love would prompt happiness to all, and in the course of everything would have that of every, would avoid everything that would offend the purity of taste and moral enjoyment. He said in the same way it prompts that it fit, fit to discharge. Uh, relative duties because it leads to the desire to promote happiness of all. And in the same manner, it would lead a man to avoid profane, indecent language, improper illusions, double meanings, innuendo, coarse and vulgar expressions because such things pain the ear and offend the heart of purity and delicacy. And then, I wonder what Barnes would say if he was writing today. Then he says, there is much that is indecent and unseemly still in society. Have you noticed that? As I'm reading this and I'm thinking about the culture in which we live, that is so rude and crude and coarse and vulgar, I mean, just in our public discourse, and those of us even at my young age can remember that when we were kids, that things were different. There were some things you didn't say in public. There were certainly certain words that were not used on television. There were some things you didn't say around a lady or a preacher. <laughs> those days are gone. I mean, people say and act and dress and act in just about any kind of way they want to. Yes, there is still much that is indecent and unseemly in society, but he says it would be corrected by Christian love. What a change would be produced if under the influence of that love, nothing would be said or done in the various relations of life, but what would be seemly, fit, and decent. What a happy influence would be the prevalence of this love as it had contact upon mankind. Love, there's a lot in that word. Love does not behave rudely or unseemly. Love has good manners. Love does not respect others by being thoughtless. You know, rude kind of has to do with the culture in which you live. You know, if I was to be invited to your house to eat, and after the meal, I lean back and I let out a big burp, I think most of you would say, that was rude. And in fact, if you have children, you might not even wait till I left, but you would certainly say it after I left. By the way, when you go eat with someone, don't do like the preacher did and belch out like he did. That was so 
rude. I have been told, maybe some of you that have been to the Philippines know this, but I've been told that in the Philippines, that's a sign of respect. Well, some of you are nodding your head yes, that you've either been or know that to be a fact. At least that's not what I've been told unless someone was uh, teasing me about it, that when you get done eating, that it shows that you enjoyed the meal. Well, that's not a sign of that here. And so having good manners and not being rude that I am careful not to disrespect other people by being thoughtless. Love does not have a, a thoughtless disregard for the feelings and the sensibilities of other people. And it's not careless. You know, we may act rudely without good manners due to just a carelessness on our part or a failure to guard our words. We may be careless in our comments in our home. You know, you've heard the expression, familiarity breeds contempt. And it may, and we may let our guard down and act in such a way toward our wives. Us men probably are more guilty of this than the ladies are. Although in our culture today, probably some of that's changed too. But to be careful that we're not saying things that offend sensibilities, that we have good manners, that we're not rude and crude in the way that we talk. But you know, there's another thing that occurred to me, and this occurred to me recently, actually not here at West Main, but in a place that I was visiting, you know, we can be careless in our comments on our Bible classes when visitors are present. Through the years, and my ears perk up a little bit more when I know someone that's visiting that's not a Christian, someone that's a seeker or someone that's looking for a church home, and maybe something is said in a Bible class about non-Christians in a very pejorative kind of a way, in a very disrespectful way. Now, please be advised that I am not saying that we should not ever point out things that are wrong or, or a religious error. I'm not saying that at all. And there's certainly a time and a place to point those kind of things out. But we need to be careful that we're not disrespectful when we talk about other people's beliefs or their religious beliefs or the lack thereof. We can teach the truth and still be kind and loving, can't we? And be courteous and not be careless in our words. Love does not respect, disrespect others by being graceless. Barclay, actually, in his word study, translates this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, 5. Love does not behave gracelessly. I guess he just liked that idea or word, rudely sounds a little better, but that's what he translates, gracelessly. But the idea here is that good manners is acting with some grace about you. That when you're not rude in your interaction with other people, that you're showing some class, you're showing some grace. Have you ever heard someone say this when they're dealing with someone? Say, I tell you what, preacher, I fight fire with fire. Maybe some of you even said that. You know, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't fight fire with fire because that's being rude. That's being disrespectful of other people. That is, that is a carnal weapon. The wrath of God does not, the wrath of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. In fact, the Bible says not to let anything unwholesome, unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only what would minister grace to the hearer. Jokes that are tasteless and graceless about other people 
and races and religions and political parties and ethnic groups. I don't know how to characterize you and I as Christians. That, that's disrespectful. That is graceless. That is rude. Well, what does love do? Love thinks before it speaks. Someone wrote that tactfulness is the lubrication of relationships because it reduces frictions between people. Well, that, that's pretty good. And that's what we're talking about here. In Proverbs 25 and verse 11, the wise man said, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in the right circumstances. What a wonderful thing it is when someone has the right word to say in the right circumstances. But how bad it is when we don't. When we say the wrong word in the wrong kind of circumstances. Jesus reminded us in Matthew chapter 12 of an important thing about our words. He said, I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. I, I look at that verse again this morning. That's a pretty heavy verse, isn't it? To think about that we're going to give an account for every idle word? I need to consider that. And for some of us that are very gregarious and outgoing and sanguine in our attitudes, that sometimes think or speak before we think, that's a frightening exposure. It is to me personally, I'll just tell you that. To stop and to think a little bit before we start saying things because we're going to be judged by words jokes that are tasteless and graceless have no place in the life of the christian we need to think before we utter some tactless and hurtful and idle word that wounds a tender heart love is respectful it cares about the feelings and the concerns of other people love that is courteous is attuned to the feelings of others and is less concerned about self I'm sure you have seen either the little book or maybe you've seen it on some internet page uh, from Robert Fulcrum's book, Everything I Needed to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And you look at some of those things like share everything, play fair, don't hit people, put by things where you found them, clean up your own mess, don't take things that aren't yours, say you're sorry when you hurt somebody, wash your hands before you eat and flush. <laughs> aren't all those things just having good manners? Of being respectful to other people, of caring about the feelings and concerns of other people. The Bible puts it this way in Philippians 2. Paul said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. I think it's well to point out there that it's not wrong to look out for our own interest, that the Bible doesn't say that we should just have no concern about our own interest. It doesn't say that, does it? It says to look out not only for our own interest. So there's nothing wrong with looking out for our own interest. But in doing that, be sure you're looking out for the interests of other people. That you're not being conceited and selfish, but that you're being humble. That you're showing love. That you're caring about other people. 
And it occurs to me that even when there's a need to correct someone, that it should be done in such a way to consider the feelings of others. In Galatians 6, Paul said, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such one in the spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so even when we have to correct someone that is wrong, that we don't do it in a way that is, that is unloving or in a way that is crude or is rude or is coarse or that runs roughshod over the feelings of other people, that we do it in a spirit of gentleness. And we look at ourselves realizing, you know, I could be in that same situation. There have been some times through the years when I've been called upon to go to someone that I needed to talk to personally about a trespass. And I have just always found the best way to do that is start with this passage. You almost can never go wrong when you start with the Bible, right? <laughs> and I just, I just will tell them, you know, you go in, you get kind of a little small talk. They probably know why you're there, so you might as well get to it pretty quick. And just say, you know what, John, I've come to you this afternoon, the spirit of Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and just read that passage. And, and, and that, I just want you to know my heart. And I don't come to you with any kind of a notion that I might not end up in the situation that you're in or might not have said this or done this. I know given the proper circumstances or the improper ones, we might be on the other end of this, and you might be talking to me. I, I just want you to know that. And then talk to them about what you need to talk to them about. You know, I, I can't think that I've ever had anybody get mad at me about it. Now, you might have people not change or not repent and not, not make the, the necessary correction, but when you go to people to seek to correct them in the spirit of gentleness and you, have, you just have good manners about it, people almost always at least receive it. Isn't that the essence of speaking the truth in love? I'm, I'm afraid sometimes in some quarters there have been some Christians and maybe some of us preachers are, are the most guilty of speaking the truth but doing it in a way that is hurtful and maybe even harmful. And then when we're called on the carpet about it, say, well, it was the truth, wasn't it? I'll tell you what, some brethren, they just can't take sound preaching. I'll preach the truth. Well, you know, it can be kind of like the lady that went to the elders and she complained about the preacher preached a sermon on hell. And the elders said, well, sister, don't you believe in hell? She said, well, yeah, I believe in hell. She said, well, do you think the preacher this morning preached anything that was unscriptural about hell? Oh, no, he, he preached the truth. He said, well, why are you so upset about it? And said, well, at least he doesn't have to be glad he's, or act like he's glad that I'm going there. <laughs> well, you know, we can come off in such a way that we can act like we're glad people are going there and come off in a very demeaning way toward other people. You know, if I, if I preach a lesson on hell, I, I'm reminded that I, too, can stand in danger of the judgment of God. And I better approach that subject with fear and trembling and not do it in a very pejorative way toward other people that I think, in my mind, may be going there. I can speak the truth on that subject, but I can speak it in love like all other 
topics. Knowing that love is respectful because it extends grace since we have received grace. God looks at us through the lens of grace. And because he does that, we should extend that graciousness to others. And so Paul would write, walk in wisdom toward those that are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt, that you may know how to answer each one. And so how do we treat non-Christians? With courteous conduct, with gracious speech, with speech that is seasoned with salt, with the right response? Do we impart grace to the, those that hear us? We need to do that. that. That's the meaning of love not being rude. Well, let me give you an example in Scripture. There were three common acts of courtesy in Bible times that were, that were typical just of good manners as you would go into someone's home. One was to greet guests with a kiss. And we read about greeting one another with a holy kiss. And this is still done in Middle Eastern countries and in different cultures where you grasp someone by the shoulders and you plant a kiss on one cheek and a kiss on the other cheek. That we, we in our culture in America today, not so much that, but we shake hands. But that was a common act of courtesy. Another act of courtesy was washing feet. That seems very strange to us today, but if you think back that the way most people got anywhere was walking, and you think about people wearing sandals through the hot sands of Palestine, and you walked some distance, and you go to someone's house, then your feet are hot and sandy and dusty and sweaty, and how refreshing it would be for someone to come out with a basin of water and to wash your feet. And so that, that was a, a very act, uh, common act of courtesy. And then a third thing that was often done was to anoint the head with some ointment or some perfume. And so this was often done. Well, there's an interesting situation that occurs, and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 7. I'm not going to read the entirety of that text, beginning in verse 36, and it goes down through the end of the chapter. But the text tells us that a Pharisee by the name of Simon had invited Jesus into his house to eat. And while he's there, this woman in this city that is a sinner comes in, and it says that she came, she knew Jesus was eating there, and she brought an alabaster flax of fragrant oil, verse 37. Verse 38, stood behind his feet and began weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Well, Simon is watching all of this, and the Bible says that when he saw this, he thought within himself, you know, if this man was a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. I mean, this is a sinful woman. And Jesus, of course, knew what Simon was thinking. And Simon says, uh, Simon, I got something I want to say to you. Simon says, well, sure, Master, say on. And, of course, he tells him the, the parable here of the creditor. Uh, they had two debtors, and one old 500 denarii and the other 50. And they had nothing to repay. He forgave them both. And he said, which one's going to love him the most? He said, well, I guess one he forgave most. And he said, you know, you, you're right. You see, Simon was pretty good with the dollar mark, wasn't he? <laughs> he, he? He didn't have any problem figuring that out. But what he had a little problem with was grace and graciousness. And Jesus turned to the woman but he said to Simon, he turned to the woman, and he said to Simon, it says, you know, this woman, you know, 
since I've entered your house, you didn't, you didn't wash my feet. Common act of courtesy. But this woman's washed her feet the hair of my head, her head. You didn't give me a kiss. You didn't greet me with a kiss. This woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil. But this woman has. She's anointed my feet with the fragrant oil. And he said, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. Isn't that interesting? That here we have a story, a true story, an instant in the life of Jesus, of a religiously-minded person, a Pharisee, of the strictest group of the Jews. P bad manners. Wasn't, wasn't kind, wasn't courteous. Overlooked what would be the most common acts of courteous in his day. And who was it that displayed him? The sinful woman. And Jesus makes a point here to Simon and to the woman. And he says to her, your faith has saved you. And so maybe understanding this passage that love does not behave rudely. Maybe there's a lot more there than we think about sometimes in our Christian walk. So let me just quickly make these final observations. Love learns the rules of etiquette. Whether you're in the Philippines or in America, learn the rules of etiquette. Love puts people at ease. Love is not easily offended. And love is tactful with the truth. Think about those things. Think about what it means to have the quality and the characteristic of love. You know, when my mom used to say, mind your manners, said a lot, didn't it? And it was a biblical, biblical thought. If you're using a hymn book, you can turn your number, hymn book to the number that we are going to close with this morning and sing a song of invitation, encouragement. I want to tell you a quick story as we close this morning. And this is reputed to be a true story as well. Some of you may know the artist, Sandy Patty, that sometimes in the musical world, she's called a Christian artist. But she had a hit a number of years ago entitled In Heaven's Eyes. And Brad Johnson tells a story about a solo artist that was performing one of Sandy, that, that song of Sandy Patty's In Heaven's Eyes. And while he was up on the stage performing this song, a woman from the audience got up and ran up onto the stage. And it was very apparent to everyone that saw this, that the woman not only had some physical problems, but she apparently had some emotional and mental handicaps as well. As the ushers started to make their way toward this woman to remove her from the stage, the artist that was singing this song motioned for him not to, not to touch her, not to come up. He motioned for the woman to come. He got off a little stool that he was sitting on singing this song and had the woman sit on the stool. And he kept on singing, never stopped singing. He put her arm around her and the lyrics of the song ended like this. In heaven's eyes, there are no losers. In heaven's eyes, no hopeless cause. What a great message for that woman to hear. In heaven's eyes, 
there are no losers in heaven's eyes no hopeless cause as long as there is a life and breath there is hope and there is hope for people to change there is hope to people to come to Christ there is hope for people to come to know the love of God and the sacrifice of Christ there is hope for us to become bigger and better Christians and to be more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ and develop the qualities of 1 Corinthians 13. I hope in our interactions with other people, beginning in our homes, in our church families, in our neighborhoods, in our places of work, and all of our relationships, that people can look at us and say, you know, they're Christian. I can just tell the way they treat people. They just have good manners. They're just good folks. God calls us to have that kind of love. As we close this morning, we're singing a song of encouragement and invitation that if you're not a child of God, would you come to Christ this morning in faith and repentance and baptisms? Would you repent of your sin? Would you confess Christ? Would you be buried in water for the remission of your sin to be raised therefrom to become a new creature, a new man or woman, right with God, your sins cleansed, and begin the kind of walk to which we've addressed ourselves this morning. If you need the prayers of the church family here or owe a duty to God in some way, we can serve you. It's you also we invite while together we stand and while we sing.